Ron DeSantis is Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war here soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows that because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away or you automatically were like, yeah, we were wrong. Hey, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when we start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids. We're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty dollars or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or $300,000 in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. Now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snap Hook Podcast. Tim Costello, Scott Barzilla, feeling merry, feeling jolly. Got that holiday spirit running through us all. So I've got a question to open up here for you, Tim. Um, when y'all when y'all do gifts. Is there a script? So, growing up, I had a script, but like my in-laws do not have the same script, and so it's it was an interesting transition. But I'm trying to institute the one at a time, uh, oldest to youngest, or no, youngest to oldest. I think is so oh. it always starts. Well, no. So, I guess what I mean by script is that basically the way my family has gone, my, my, you know, my parents and my sister and brother-in-law is you make a Christmas list and your gift better come off that list. Oh, if you, if you go off script, then, you know, there's some, so, you know, here I am looking through my email today and I get an email from PXG saying that they're processing my order. I did not make an order. So do you have do you have some PXG on the list? I do. That's a good sign, Scott. It's a good sign, but then again, I already know what it is because I only had one PXG club on the list. So, you know, so I guess does that ruin the surprise, or is that you know is that a good thing? I think it's a good thing. So because we like my mom growing up was not someone who like was a script person, right? But now. I think she knows, like, my brother and I are both dads. Uh, maybe me a little less than him, but I don't spoil myself very often. Like, if, I, if I'm if i going to get something nice, it's probably going to be for the kids or my wife. And so she likes to, like, make sure that we, we get something nice for us. And so, like, birthdays and Christmases, so honestly, just, like, ask me what I want and, and buy it for me. Or sometimes she even just, like, has me buy it myself, but she'll give me the money for it. Just because she wants to make sure I get exactly what I want. Uh, my wife is completely the opposite. She is very much a wants to like f- 
feel, oh, that's that's good for them. We get that. Or like she just has like really good gifting intuition and does not want any kind of list given to her versus me. I'm kind of in the middle. Like, give me a list. I may or may not go off of it, depending what's on your list. If I think that's a good gift for you. Yeah. So what I've done basically over the years is, uh, particularly with Janet, is that she gives she gives out a list, and I I go off script. But you know the the gift is based on the script, so it's not like I'm going to go out and get her a spatula. You know, I don't know if you remember that episode. I can't remember which show that was, but uh, where the gift was a spatula, but. Um, like last year I got her the Bartesian, but you know, it's because I know that, you know, she, she's a wine connoisseur. She likes mixed drinks. So, you know, I know that about her, but then again, you know, the list will help, will help with that. Yeah. The list definitely helps to get a theme, right? Um, like last year, I'll, I'll be honest, Scott, I, I sucked at Christmas for my wife last year. Like I really didn't bring it. You know, I, I like to consider myself a good gift giver. And I feel like in years past, I'd, I'd done some good gifts. And I think every every event since Christmas, um, I've had good gifts for Haley because of how bad I did. But like my whole plan was to get her um, the new uh, Fitbit because she's not really an Apple Watch person because she doesn't want to answer the phone on her watch. So the Fitbit's perfect. So I go to order it. Amazon can't get it to me in time. Then I go to Best Buy and they don't have the version of the watch that I'm looking for. So I have to get her, you know, a a different version than I planned. And then I'm looking at it and I feel like I know she's going to have more presents for me than I'm presenting this this one watch. I got to get some filler. So then I wander into like Marshall's. I don't know what that plan was. And I bought her like a Lazy Susan. Thinking like, who doesn't love a lazy Susan? And I didn't even realize we already had two. We already had two lazy Susans, Scott. So I've since upped my gift giving since then. Um, and this year we're going pretty low key. Like we both kind of agreed that we're going to renew our, our season tickets to um, the community theater as our Christmas presents to ourselves because there's you know six date nights in there for us. So um, won't be as many surprises on on that front, but. Overall, um, I, I will say I got better after that. I learned from my mistakes, and um, it, it hasn't happened again. Well, so um, this is going to affect those of you who are listening, but the uh, the listening audience. Unfortunately, next week's episode will be the last of the 2023 calendar year because we are going on a trip, which includes my in-laws. Uh, but that's only going to be for a few days on either end. And then in between, we are going to Disney because our you know, Anne's birthday is on New Year's Eve. And so seeing like the fireworks on New Year's Eve at the Magic Kingdom is just, you know, a once in a lifetime experience. That we, We've been to the Magic Kingdom several times now, but, you know, seeing it on New Year's Eve and seeing what they have in store for us is going to be fun. I, I can imagine. I, uh... My parents took my brother and I to Disney when when we were like 10, 11, 12, somewhere in that range and told us like, this was your one trip. We have done our job as parents. We took you to Disneyland. If you come back here, it will be on your own dime when you are bringing your own children. And I can't imagine how much more it is now compared to when they took me 20 something years ago. But the most amazing thing happened on that trip, Scott. And I, and I told you earlier about the baseball part. That was awesome. 
But as we're driving out there, we stopped about halfway. So we're driving Houston to Orlando, right? So like wherever yeah. about halfway is, I want to say probably somewhere around like Destin, Florida, because we just know that area. Um, and we're meeting a family on their way back from Disney. And they happened to mention to us that on the fast pass machine, there is a button on the back of the machine that's like a manual override that as long as a ticket is inserted, you can press that button and more than one fast pass ticket will come out. Because originally you had to put your fast pa- your ticket in and you got a fast pass for that ride and then you could like, you know, but what we did is like we'd go over, we loaded up on fast passes and we were able to ride every ride in the park. It was it was absolutely unbelievable. And this one family just happened to be on their way back from Disney, staying at the hotel that we were staying on the way to Disney. And they like heard us talking about it. And we're like, yo, we need to tell you about this trick. And like someone would like keep lookout to make sure like no Disney people were looking. And then like my mom or my dad would like hit the button a bunch of times on the back and spit out like eight fast passes for Thunder Mountain or whatever it was called. Yeah, unfortunately, everything's electronic now. So I, I know. Don't know. I, I don't know. know if there's a workaround. But, you know, what, the funny thing is when I went out there last time, I was, you know, chaperoning my daughter's trip. And I was by myself in the Magic Kingdom. And that's a cheat code because there's single rider lines. So Space Mountain, I'm shooting right to the front of the line. You know, and I saw I rode that thing three or four times. Um which made it easy and the thing is i didn't have to buy any fast passes because i think there were like seven or eight bucks a piece or something ridiculous you gotta pay like purse pay yes per fast pass? wow yeah so so and did all that she got to ride the neutron ride which i didn't ride but you know what i did i said i don't know if you've ever uh, heard of this place in the magic kingdom there's a restaurant called be our guest that's which the, is, uh, the, it's based on, yeah, it's based uh, on Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast, yeah, thank you. There we go. Be our guest, be our guest. Yes. So, I mean, you're talking $50, $60 a plate. <laughs> but, you know, it was a steak. And I'm like, you know what? My daughter got three or four pass passes. That's $32. I think I can afford to splurge. And so I went to be our guest and I had a nice steak dinner. I took plenty of pictures and I even got the Beast's autograph. So, you know, there you go. Hey, there's nothing like, like meeting the beast. Did you see Gaston? No one drinks like Gaston. No, no. Unfortunately, they, the beast was the only one making the rounds. Mm. Not even a bell sighting? No, no, no. Unfortunately, no. Not there. But um, I tell you what, in the other land of Disney, near Disney, uh, Disneyland, uh, there was some major news that came down this last weekend that I'm sure is to dominate at least the early portion of our program here. And that is the uh, Shohei Otani signing in with the Los Angeles. He gets to stay where he was, you know, virtually. Uh, I guess Anaheim and Los Angeles are about maybe 20 minutes apart. So $700 million, of which 680 is deferred. So as the details have been coming out, Tim, what, what are your thoughts? Um, I have a lot of thoughts, to be honest with you. First and foremost, I hate that he went to the Dodgers. Really, really hate it because I hate the fucking Dodgers and I like Shohei Otani. Like it's a weird vibe where like a player that you actually like now plays for a team that you hate. And I thought it was a cool opportunity. You know, if he, you know, the rumor was Toronto, I thought that would have been fantastic. 
my wife is a Dodger. I mean, a uh, a Giants fan, so you know the, some of the stuff about San Francisco. I thought that would have been good fit. Uh, the legacy of Ichiro in Seattle, we would have continued to see him in the division. And it just seemed to me like the least climactic place he could have gone was the Los Angeles Dodgers. Because even if he went back to the Angels, there would have been a shitstorm of like, what was he thinking? And then part two is the way that the move has been covered of like, this is the most amazing move that's ever happened. This is what baseball needed. The Dodgers deserve Shohei Otani, all this other bullshit. That is disgusting to me. Then number three is the contract. And I, I, I'm okay with deferring money, but normally Scott, like if you look at like the history of these deferred money payments, there's some interest in there, right? Like the player gets incentive for deferring that money versus the way that Shohei Otani set it up is just a big giant lump sum 10 years from now collecting $2 million a year. Cause like realistically what he makes in baseball does not matter. He makes so much money as a global ambassador for whatever brand you want to use him for new balance or, you know, whatever they do in Japan. I'm sure he makes a ton of sponsorship money in Japan, you know, so that contract is, is not something he needs to live on. So it, 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 I, it just makes no sense to, to not put any interest on it. But for the Dodgers, it's it's a great, smart financial decision because you're not going to lose money on this deal, right? Like there's literally no way on a business perspective that you're going to lose money. You're going to sell four $500 million of advertising to big international clients in the next two to three weeks. Shohei Otani's jersey is already the number one selling athlete period in the world right now, taking over like Ronaldo and Messi and um, some big time international footballers. But at the end of the day, it's a great business decision for the Dodgers. It's it's frustrating for the rest of the league that they now have still cap space or you know under the luxury tax or room to go after uh, the new Japanese pitcher that's coming over as well. But, you know, it is what it is. It, it does maybe, does it give you a bit of hope that that maybe our, our hometown team could, could take advantage of similar accounting? Well, you know, I was, I was doing the math on this. And this is where, you know, this kind of, and so to explain to everybody, the latest that I understand is that the tax implications will be somewhere in the neighborhood of $47 million a year. And how they get to that is they get to that by adjusting for inflation and God knows how they get to that, right? But I was doing the math on this. So we've talked about this on our show. If I'm running an RSN, uh, which stands for Regional Sports Network, for those of y'all who you might not be doing this, I sell a streaming service to just my local TV people. In, in the area, like say Houston area, Space City, would you pay $30 a month for just the Astros and Rockets and whatever else Space City would, would, would broadcast? That honestly, that's right about the level I'm looking at. Cause I pay like 25 right now for my like shared FUBU plan or FUBO, FUBO plan where I share with like four other people, but like 25, 30 is kind of about where I'm willing to pay for that. 
So I, I did the math on this, the quick math. If you had 5 million homes subscribing for $30 a month, that is a little over a billion and a half a year. That's just the carriage fees. That's not even advertising gotta, dollars. To be fair, though, you got to split that in half, right? Because half's right. going to Tillman's team. Right, right. But, but I'm not even talking advertising dollars. So let's. No, just, I'm, I'm talking subscription as well, though, right? Right. Half the, pe- half right. the, half right. the people are going to be rocket subscribers. Well, well. So what I'm, what I'm assuming here. So let's say that your advertising dollars just covers the cost of doing business, and so your carriage is pure profit. That's if it, if you're assuming a billion and a half, that's seven hundred and fifty million dollars to both teams, right? The average expenditure, like if you look at the actual CBA and the NBA and the NFL, because they actually outline this because they have a salary cap, it's roughly fifty percent of revenue goes to the players. So if you assumed the same level in baseball, what's half of seven hundred fifty million, Tim? Jesus, three hundred and seventy-five million. That is. Double check my math. That is correct. So you know the Astros, if they did this correctly, they could they could pull that off. Um, I think what's going to happen is I think that uh, that Jim Crane is waiting around to see if Space City is going to pan out because remember when he bought the team, that's when they had you know with uh, with CSN and that oh, yeah. you know, and that floundered horribly. So it I only think- floundered because it was called CSN. If they would have called it Space City Sports from day one, they would have been gold. But the fact well, that they had to put the name Comcast on it meant AT and T and Spectrum and all these others were not going to carry it. Right, but see now, and I think what the RSNs really need to realize is that cable and satellite is dying. Everybody streams, or at least people are my age and younger. My parents don't because my parents, I mean, they, they have Hulu, but they, they, they'd have to, you know, call us to come over and figure out how to turn it on. Uh, but for people our age and younger, everybody streams. So why not offer it as a streaming subscription where it's just one more thing on my Amazon, you know, Amazon, you know, menu where I can just scroll over and get there. And so I think if the Astros are able to do that, see the Dodgers, they own their own network, the Yankees, they own their own network. And so that's why they can afford to spend. I mean, you know, Juan Soto's getting four or five hundred million dollars when when the Yankees finally give them the extension, which is the other big move that happened over, you know, the last week. And I wanna I wanna point out too, Shohei Otani is not the first person to, you know, receive a, a delayed money, right? We all we all laugh at Bobby Bonilla, but uh, you know, realistically it was a win win deal for both sides of that party. Bobby Bonilla, you know, gets a million dollars every year for a good chunk of his life. One point three one million until two thousand thirty five. And the Mets, you know, were theoretically at the time thinking they were making great investments because they had this financial guru named Bertie Madoff who was able to take money and, you know, magically just make more money with it. So to them, they were like, we can take this $30 million or whatever the contract for, <coughs> pardon me, for Bonilla is, and we can invest it with this whiz Bernie and we'll easily be able to pay this off, right? And that was the thought process. Ken Griffey Jr. is still one of the highest paid players of the Cincinnati Reds. Manny Ramirez is still getting checks from the Red Sox. 
This happens all the time. It's not something that's unheard of. Even Bryce Harper and his deal that he signed with the Phillies has a crap ton of delayed money in it. Okay, Tim. Now, first of all, with Bernie Madoff, what you need to understand is it's not a pyramid. It's a triangle. It's a, it's a triangle. Yeah, because it's 2D. It's in multiple, yeah, multiple dimensions, but it's still a triangle. It's I never a said pyramid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were implying it though. So I just wanted to throw that up. But yeah, uh, and the Mets even have a joke about it. They call it Bobby Bonilla Day. And it's the day, you know, when he waltzes in, he collects his million. And I, I think I had a joke um, to you on text where, you know, we sign Kyle Tucker for $10 a year and then pay him like, say, eight or nine million every year from 2035 until 2100 when his grandkids can kind of roll in and collect the check. You know, it, it gets to be ridiculous. To me, the only thing that I think, and, and Shohei Otani can, you know, the Dodgers can do whatever they want in terms of how they want to do their accounting. I think in terms of a luxury tax, they need to pay the full 70 million th- uh, freight. And that's not happening. Um, Rumor, rumor has it that they're going after Tyler Glass now in a trade. I saw that one. Uh, so if they get that Japanese pitcher, they get Tyler Glass now. And, you know, if Clayton Kershaw comes back at any point next year, um, I mean, that's that looks like a good staff. And it looks like, you know, an awfully good lineup. At least the top three are really good. So, I mean, I applaud them at least, you know, for – and I applaud Shohei Otani for will, be willing to – do that, you know, because a lot of players would say, like, no, 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 give me my money now. And and you at can, least more than two million, right? Yeah. Like I can understand if they were like, I'll I'll split it in half with you, right? Like give me uh three hundred and fifty million, you know, paid out across these ten years and the other three hundred and fifty million at the end, right? But but to take two million dollars a year, like and I don't mean this disrespectfully to anyone who's not a, a wealthy person in LA, but like $2 million isn't that lavish of a lifestyle in Los Angeles, right? Like that is not crazy balling money to live in one of the most expensive places in the world. Again, obviously we mentioned he's got money flowing in from other places, but it's just, it's weird to me that $2 million was the was the amount that he decided is all he needs every year. Yeah, I wonder and- if it's like a tax purpose on his end. He's like, I've got to make X amount of, I've got to make X amount of money tax-wise, to maintain legal raises. I'd like to know why they came to that $2 million amount. Well, and there's more that keeps leaking out about this contract, because I don't know if you saw this little tidbit today, that he has a conditional out out clause. I did not see that. um, That the the Dodgers have to promise to remain competitive, which I don't even know what that means. I mean, that has to be in in the language of the contract about what, you know, how do you define that? I would say um, probably like you can't start trading off all your stars, right? Well, yeah. I mean, and, but there has to be some sort of cutoff <laughs> point. I don't know if it's a cutoff in spending. I don't know if it's a cutoff in their record. You know, I could see it to where maybe he sit there and said, hey, if we balloon down to 70 wins, deuces, to, I'm out. Because, you know, that's the life that he's had up until this point. That You know, it's been him and Trout, and Trout's been hurt, and so it's been him. And, you know, you look at the Angels roster and it's like, my God, it's, it's, it's like a graveyard. Um, so, in addition to uh, Shohei Otani, we, we had obviously Juan Soto going to the Yankees. Are there any other moves that stuck out to you, you know, as, in terms of winners and losers, at least in December? 
I mean, I think the Braves have made some really nice moves so far. I think they've done a nice job of of bringing in some buy low, maybe sell high kind of talent. Um, I, I don't know. It's still the Yankees have, have done a nice job. I think Soto was um, – I think Soto was a good pickup at the end of the day. How can you say he's not? Um, I'd, I'd be intrigued to see if, if Stanton stays on that roster. I don't – I don't know what you'd be able to get for him at this point, but um, I think they went and got a center fielder too. If they really wanted to play Grisham, he's not a, a great hitter. Um, I, I the, the signing yesterday with um, you know Lo, uh, Hung Hung Joe Hung or I'm sorry Hung Lo from uh, Korea that signed with with uh, the Giants. It seemed like they pivoted pretty quickly after not getting. Um, Otani and, and they signed a, a pretty young Korean superstar. So that'll be interesting too to see that pan out because we've, we've had quite a few Japanese players come over and we've had quite a few American players go into uh, the KBO and play and come back over. Marcus Timms is one who has some success, but there's not really been a lot of Korean hitters to come over and play. And, and I think that'll be interesting because they throw a lot more breaking stuff in Korea, and they don't have the same velo uh, that we have here for the most part. And everybody throws 95 in, in the majors at this point. So I think um, seeing if if he is able to kind of handle that big league heat um, on top of the breaking stuff is obviously something that um, is going to be really intriguing to me, realistically. It's Joe, it's Jung Hoo Lee, sorry, is the name that I was trying to get out. Um, had a nice World Baseball Classic, hit 400 in the round um, that he played in. But like he's young. His his dad was a superstar uh, in in the KBO. We'll see, right? But I, I think it was – I think they wanted some international talent, though, for sure. And, and the Giants have been dying for a star. The Giants have tried every free agency, it seems like, to get somebody in, and no one wants to go there. So – they went to Korea and, and got what they think is going to be a big name. Yeah, I don't know how I don't know how good he's going to be. I think that one of the things I see with the, the Korean players is that the power numbers don't necessarily translate. Um, and I noticed that his power numbers were down already this year. I mean, he hit three twenty. I mean, can't really sneeze at that. He hit, I think, almost three ninety in twenty twenty two. Uh, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what, what comes, you know, what comes back over here. I mean, you're looking at a guy that if he hits around 300, um, with maybe a 350, 360 on base average, you know, slugs, maybe 400, that's still, you know, a really good player to have on your team. Uh, particularly, you know, towards the top of the order is you know, the kind of a player you'd love to have. Soto, and I was looking at it, so to to pay off on all the Yankees moves and what Tim was talking about there, uh, they picked up Alex Verdugo. Uh, and I think we may have mentioned that during our last episode because uh, that came down the day of that we, we uh, recorded yeah. last week. So and Alex Verdugo. did a swap with the Rangers, I mean, with the, uh, with the Dodgers too. Okay? Yeah. Clear some 40-man roster space with some arms who may be some bullpen pieces for the Yankees. Alex Verdugo uh, will probably be in right field. At least that's where uh, roster resource has him currently. Uh, right now with uh, Giancarlo Stanton, they have Judge in center, and they have Soto in left, and they have Stanton DH. I would have to think that what you, in particularly with how important Judge is, 
is that if they could find a taker for Stanton, which is a lot easier said than done, um, you put Grisham in center, where that's a gold glove center fielder, you put Judge at DH, and he can play probably all three outfield positions in a pinch. I think and you so, just rotate him and him and Soto rotate in and out of left field realistically. But you, and one DH is in one one um plays the outfield every day. But you get 150 games out of both of those guys. Correct. And and that's a huge I mean, both of those guys. I think personally, particularly when you get them out of San Diego, I think as a pure offensive player, Soto is better than Otani. That's my personal opinion. Um, obviously, when you add the pitching in to Otani, he's a more valuable player overall, but we, we know that he's not pitching in 2024. So to me, Soto is probably the more immediate impact player. Uh, Dodger Stadium is not necessarily an easy place to hit. Um, I mean, the dimensions are a little bit bigger uh, than they were in Anaheim. He's going to have uh, so much protection in that lineup. Those oh, guys. Yeah. He's going he's gonna to hit 40 homers. He's going to drive in 140. Oh, runs. sure. It's going to be gaudy. Off. The, the average may not be 300, but he's going to hit 250, 260, and he's going to mash. But look at what Soto Soto's coming from Petco Park, which is, you know, if not the worst hitting hitters park in baseball. Oh, he's gonna he's gonna hit 30, 35 homers easy and, this season. And depending on where he is in the lineup, you know, if you put him I don't know if you put him before judge or after judge. I would put him before judge personally, because he's more of an on base kind of guy. I agree. Um, um, I mean he could score 120, 130 runs easily. Uh, in addition to hitting those 30, 35 bombs, because would you he's lead a, him off? No, no, I wouldn't do that. Uh, the, the roster, I mean, they res- had judge leading off at different points. Roster resource right now has DJ LeMay who leading off, which he never stays healthy for them. though. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I don't know who you lead off because they've got a lot of, you know, they've got a lot of good players like um, Anthony Volpe uh, had a good rookie season. He's a good, good power bat. You hit him. He's kind of like a Jeremy Pena. You hit him lower in the order. Yeah, he's a nice seventh, eighth, get you some pop, um, but he's not a leadoff hitter. Glaber Torres is a good, uh, a good player. Uh, Alex Verdugo is a guy that you might consider. Yeah, you might the top of the, to, He's the top a 250, of the 260 guy too, though. But he'll, he'll get on base at least. You know, I think he'll walk some. Um, I don't know who you lead off. That's a good question. But I like what they've done so far. And, you know, you got, you've got some guys that were injured last year, like Carlos Rodon was just – the last year was just a absolute – I mean, just flush, flushable year for him. And so if he comes back and gives you anything, you know, Garrett Cole, legitimate Cy Young, I mean, best pitcher in the league last year. So, you know, I think they've talked about maybe get, you know, adding a legit closer, you know, maybe a hater, you know, that goes there. And um, it's hard to say where hater goes at this point, you know, because the Orioles were one spot. And of course, they signed, they signed Kimbrell, which I'm not really sure on Craig Kimbrell these days. Why do uh, teams keep signing Craig Kimbrell? He, I feel like he cost the Phillies a chance to go to the World Series. Well, he's a guy, you know, what, what I like. If I were to sign a Craig Kimbrell at this point, it would be to be like a seventh inning guy. I mean, he's a he's a veteran guy, but putting him in the ninth inning is just nuts at this point. I feel like he's kind of like Ryan Fitzpatrick in a way that like Ryan Fitzpatrick would be a fantastic backup quarterback. Everybody would love to have him as a backup, but everywhere he went, 
the starting quarterback kept getting hurt, and Ryan Fitzpatrick kept finding himself as a starting quarterback everywhere he went. And Craig Kimbrell, every GM probably has the same thought that you do. Scott is like, yeah, you know, I, I really don't want him to close, but he'd be good for the sixth, seventh inning. And then next thing you know, the manager's trotting him out there in the ninth inning because we got Kimbrell and he's battle-tested and he just cost us the playoffs. See, like a team like the Astros, honestly, would have been a better place for him because you have Presley. And if Presley's not closing, Abreu's closing. So, I mean, if you're getting down to the point where you're giving Craig Kimbrell ninth inning uh, opportunities as an Astro, that means your season's probably fucked anyway. I mean, because you've lost, you know, at least, you know, two. Because, I don't know, you might go Graveman before you even go Kimbrell. So, I mean, if you're going if you're going Kimbrell, you know, closing for the Astros, man, that season, that's a rough season. I mean, that's uh, that's basically Kimbrell and, and, and Montero holding a baseball saying, yeah, we got this. <laughs> and everybody else thinking, oh, shit. But yeah, I, I don't. I don't think the Orioles are losing. I think the Orioles really need to add to their rotation. They really need some veteran starters. Uh, they got some decent young starters, but they're not guys who are frontline players yet. They won 101 games last year, Tim, and they got rolled in the playoffs. The, yeah, they, the Rangers were just one of those teams, though. Like if I'm if I'm the Orioles, I don't worry too much about it. I do want to bounce back to the Astros real quick because you you briefly mentioned. Um, the, the trade that is being discussed with the Dodgers and, and the and the Rays, and it's, you know, Tyler Glasgow's a piece, but also Manuel Margot uh, is another piece that is, is being discussed in that trade where it would be Glasnow and Margot coming over. And I feel like you and I have talked about him before. I think he'd be a nice piece to have to play some center field <coughs> as a as a – you know, a time split with, with Jake Myers. Um, and you can get a guy like Glassdale. That's exactly what this rotation needs. It would frustrate me if I was to learn that the Astros were not even in that discussion to go get those two players that, to me, both make your roster better. I think what you have to remember, though, is I think you have to remember that we value prospects a certain way. And, and 30 teams value prospects a certain way. And so I don't know how the Rays value our prospects. Like we could call them, hey, you know, you have any interest in training glass now? And they probably look at our system and go, uh, no, thank you. Margot, I think if you could split them up, I think we could definitely afford a Margot. And I think you're absolutely right because I don't think any Astros fan is really excited about seeing Jake Myers in center field every day. Um, if you look at his war, because he's a, he's a good defender, he's a legitimately good defensive player. He's about a two win player, but you know what he's like, Tim is he's, he's a lot like Jake Marisnik at the end of the day, where Jake Marisnik is a guy that you would love to have at, you know, at the end of the game when you need, you know, some defense or you need like a, a stolen base, you know, as a pinch runner, but, and he's a guy that if he got one or two starts a week, he'd be like, yeah, okay. I could jive with that, but 500 at bats, Jake Marisnik would just be like nails on a chalkboard. And I, I kind of feel the same way watching Jake Myers. I mean, he's a guy that struck out against a position player. Um, I mean, it, that's now you stick me a bat into my hand. 
and you could, you know, you could bring out Phil Necro now and he'd probably strike me out. Um, I think but, I could get a hit off a position player, but I don't know. I think I could, but in, in, in the, in the, but a major league baseball player should not be striking out. Uh, let me, let me, let me, I, I think I could make contact. Like I don't, like, I think I would make solid contact and maybe a line out or a ground out, but I think I would have a hard hit ball against a position player, Scott. I really do. Okay. Uh, if I'll, you know anybody, I'll, I'll take I'll I'll take that I'll I'll take that. Take those odds. Uh, I'll, well, I'll I'll believe you for a second. I'll I'll give that to you. Uh, I'll just say right now that I'm probably not doing that. But then again, I'm I'm a little bit older, so you know maybe when I was in my early 30s, maybe I could. have I'd like that to off. think myself an athlete, Scott. Um, but see, here's the deal. So, to me, I I don't understand the whole idea of running it back. I understand the deal of we spent our money on Abreu, we spent our money on Montero, we spent our money, we're spending our money on Verlander. I understand that aspect of it. I mean, you and I operate on a budget. You know, if you go out and buy a new car, you can't remodel the home the next month, right? I mean, the Astros operate on a budget, but to me, you can't look at this roster and go like, I feel good about Jake Myers in center field. I don't see how anybody can do that. I'm with you because I feel like when I look at this roster, we're like two pieces away from me feeling good about everything. And one of those pieces is a solid starting pitcher because I, I don't feel comfortable running this rotation back. I don't. There's nothing about this starting rotation in the playoffs that makes me feel like, yeah, we're good to go. Because every one of those guys had issues. Verlander wasn't great. Fromber was was scary. Javier was shaky. Uh, Arquiti was was shaky. And uh, France was terrible at times. Hunter Brown was not good. You know, like, are you going to tell me Luis Garcia is going to come back and that's going to save the day? I don't think so. Luis Garcia is a good pitcher. He's a three or a four. He's a good three or a four. He's not your ace. Lance McCullers, you never know what you're going to get from him, and it's it's going to be August when you get him. So to know that a guy like Glasnow is out there, to know that a Rosarina is out there, to know that Manuel Margot is out there, I get that the Rays want prospects. If you think so highly of, of Jake Myers, fucking trade him to the Rays. The Rays have good analytics staff. Fucking get in there and, and, and do a sell job on him. I don't know whether, you know, Daryl Morey would have got it done in the Rockets. He fucking trade raped everybody. But at the end of the day, I'd love to be eating crow in, in, in October of 2024. And Jake Myers is the World Series MVP. And we're both sitting here going, yeah, I fucking love Jake Myers. But right now, you're going to tell me that's your opening day center fielder and you plan to give this guy a majority of the starts in center? I don't like that because Chaz is good enough in center that you can go get a good left-handed left field bat that can mash. And that's what's frustrating to me is is there are oppor- – at this point, go get Bellinger, man. Like, I didn't want him early on, but, like, he sat out there long enough. I feel like maybe his number has gone down and he can play first base. He can play some left field. He can play center field. And he gives you the versatility that you like. And you know what? We got a short portion left and a short portion right. He can do some damage in that lineup, but do something to try and 
push this window open a little bit longer. I don't want to. I don't want to cost ourselves a chance to to keep our other players long term. But every year, Scott, we're told, "Oh, we let this guy walk. We let Springer walk, so that way we could extend Cole." Well, we didn't extend Cole, but you know we got to have that money to be able to sign Carlos Correa. Well, no, we didn't sign Carlos Correa, but we got to be able to make sure we keep Verlander after this year. Well, no, I get that we didn't get Verlander, but we're gonna you know extend Kyle Tucker. Well, you know, I know we haven't extended Kyle Tucker yet, but we got to, you know, it's just like at what point do you get one of these things done and, and keep this window going? Yeah, I'm with you there. And I think if you, between those two positions, I think pitcher is actually the more acute need. And this is coming from me. Like I'm a, I'm a bad sharpening cart that pulls to the right, no matter which way it's facing. I'm a guy that says, get more offense, no matter what. And I'm and and so one of the things I've done uh, in pre- preparation for my next fantasy season is I ran bases per out uh, for the top 24 players at each position and every starting pitcher in baseball that has 100 or more innings. So I looked at, and I'm not going to go into the mechanics of it, but I'll just tell you: Verlander and Fromber are significantly above average which makes perfect sense when you look at their numbers. They're the only ones, Tim. That's two starting pitchers. JP France was like right there, right there at average. He's actually slightly below, but he's right around average. Christian Javier and Hunter Brown were just not good. It just was not good. And those are your only starters that had 100 or more innings. Your uh, Kitty didn't get anywhere near 100 innings. Maybe he's healthier next year. Maybe he's better. Maybe. Maybe Javier figures, well, maybe he was hurt and maybe he's not hurt anymore. I don't know. Uh, maybe Garcia comes back around midseason and gives you a good half season of baseball. Maybe, you know, McCullers comes back in July and maybe. I don't want to rest my whole, you know, a possible eighth, you know, trip to the ALCS on maybes. I want, you know, something tangible. I have actually have more faith that Jake Myers will be a somewhat productive player overall than I have collectively in that pitching staff. I think you're absolutely right. And, and the way that you say you lean right, on offense, right? You're always, I'm always wanting more pitching, right? I am a believer of you can never have too many good arms. And 2022 was, was example A, right? Like that team pitched its way to a World Series victory. There's no, they had timely hitting and they had the best bullpen in modern baseball that you and I have ever fucking seen in our lifetime. And I don't know if we will ever see a bullpen in playoff time that was as good as the 2022 Astros were because it was unbelievable. That 2017 team, that team slugged its way to a World Series and somehow just got enough outs every single game to get it done. You know, we were using Brad Peacock for nine out saves, and you know the guy didn't have to buy a drink in Houston for like two years because of that. But you've got, but the reason that we were able to do that is because we had six, seven starting pitchers. We had guys like Peacock who were stretched out. We had guys like Chris Davinsky that could give you four innings, and we were able to fit and slot those guys in in the playoff time. We just don't have those 
pieces. We don't have either those dominant shutdown bullpen pieces that you get through five innings and it's over, or we don't have enough starters to be able to piece around things in the playoffs and say, okay, the bullpen's not as good as we'd like, but we really only need four starters and we've got six. We've got these two guys that we can use, uh, whether it be Lance McCullers or whoever, let's go that way. We don't have that. If McCullers comes back, we really need him to be a good three, right? That would be the, the way that this team gets back to the ALCS and has success is if, if McCullers comes back and he shoves. That's what they're counting on. We can't afford to have him go to the bullpen. We have seen that Christian Javier is not as good in the bullpen as he was as a starting pitcher. And we've seen Hunter Brown and, and France Boaster go out of the pen this year too. So there's just not that flexibility of the arms that they have. And which makes me want to go load up. You know, baseball, you can never have enough good pitching. I will say it time and time again. And I guess what bugs me is that we go back to my, our conversation about the economics of the game, the Dodgers, and, and what the Dodgers are doing. And, and I don't want the Astros to spend $400 million. Um, I don't think anybody realistically has that expectation. But I'll tell you a guy that just signed just this week, Seth Lugo. Goes to the Royals, three years, fifteen million. Per a guy year. that you wanted at the beginning, right about that number yeah. too. You said he'd get about twelve or fifteen. That's exactly what he got. And the thing is, is that what Lugo get, would give you is he is a guy that has pitched as both a starter and a reliever. So he's a guy that if he is not one of your four best starters when the playoff starts, you you push him to the pin. And he's a guy that would get, be able to give you that inning or two. Um, and and. There are still some guys on the market that you could get in that 10 to $15 million range that would at least give you 150 innings that you can count on. And, and I, I hate to, you know, I hate to use this name because, you know, it's kind of a dirty name in Houston, but Jake Odorizzi was that kind of guy. Jake Odorizzi was a guy that would give you four to five innings a night. And as long as he didn't get to the, third time through the order, he was fine. Dusty Baker kept trying to pitch him a third time through the order and he kept sucking. But, you know, hopefully we, we don't have that with, you know, our, our current manager coming in this year. Maybe he's a little bit smarter about, you know, things like that. But, you know, somebody like that, I don't want Jake Odorizzi, but somebody like that, that could give you 150 innings. They could go out there, get 30 starts, go five innings a game, and get you through. That's what the kind of guy you need. I'd, I'd love to see the Astros try and take a run at Jordan Montgomery. You know, he showed you some bull, some some bulldog in the playoffs. He's a lefty, which would be you know nice to have another lefty starter. Um, it makes your team better, and it hurts the, the the rival in the division. And there's a lot of of talk that because of what's going on with Valley Sports, that the Rangers might not be able to afford him. And so. At the end of the day, you know, he had a 290 ERA in the postseason. Um, he had a 279 ERA in 11 starts with the Rangers after getting traded. He's a Texas guy. Um, you know, not a bad not a bad move if the Astros could make that one happen. I just don't know, is he going to want front end of, of the rotation money? Because realistically, he's not a number one. Um, he's a great three. And that's what the Astros need right now. They need a great three. So, like, when you look at it, and I, I just ran him on a basis per out like I was running the other guys, and, and he is 
he slots below JV and, and Framber in terms of that stat. But he there is that huge gap in between those two guys and JP France. Right now, JP France is your third starter. Okay, I want to repeat that. JP France right now is your third starting pitcher opening day. Does that make you feel comfortable? No, not at all. I think Jordan Montgomery would be a great third starter. I think that is right around where he slots. And, you know, obviously a nice lefty, you know, unfortunately, JV's getting the opening day start. I say unfortunately, but if you're, you know, slotting them in, you, you would like to stagger your righties and lefties. You would love to find a way to go Framber, JV, Montgomery. So, you know, but it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. You're just looking for a guy to get 30 starts. I don't care if he's a third or fourth or fifth starter. Once once that you go through the rotation once, it doesn't really matter. It's like the lineup. It's just how many times is he going to grab the ball? Um, he might be a little rich for our blood, unfortunately, because I think he, yeah, I think you're right. I think he's going to want that top of the rotation money. Uh, and he might get it. You know, he might be a guy that the Orioles could go after. Uh, that would probably fit pretty well in their rotation because they've got some good young pitchers that just need like a veteran, you know, to kind of a glue guy. Um, there's, there's got, there's some other guys out there that, you know, are just, you know, Dylan Cease hasn't been traded yet. You know, his base per out numbers aren't good, but I have a feeling he's a guy that if you get him with the right pitching coaches that they could get him turned around rather quickly. So I don't know. Out of all those names, I, I don't know who the best guy would be, but to me, we need a third starter right now that can get you through July or August. Because right now, if you're running that rotation out there, you might be five, ten games in the hole by the time that you get McCullers and Garcia back. Marcus Stroman's still out there, still available. Yeah, I mean, he's another name. Three years, $20 million. If you could get him at that, two, if you could get two for 15 each year, uh, I'd take two years, $30 million on Stroman. Yeah, Again, I mean, that's not a, my money. Yeah, I mean, he's a third starter type. I mean, you, that's what you're looking for. You don't need an ace. You need somebody who can just take the ball every fifth day and, and go out and get you five, six innings. Michael Walker still available. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's still Michael, guys out there. Well, Michael Walker is more like your fifth, sixth starter type, but okay. I mean, he had a good numbers last year, but if you look at his career numbers, they're kind of bleh. Yeah, I mean, he's um, been up or down. He's a local guy, went to A&M. But, you know, the whole thing is you want a guy, even if you signed a Michael Walker, it would still be another guy. And you're not relying, you know, because what happens if J.P. France just all of a sudden doesn't have it? I mean, you're 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 fucked. I mean, yeah. yeah. I I mean, I I I would love next year, Scott, for France to, you know, have had this chip on his shoulder since he got lit up in the playoffs, and he spent the whole off season saying that's not going to happen again, and he comes back and wins a Cy Young next year, right? That'd be That'd be awesome, and I'd love it. And you and I would both say we fucking love you, JP France. But at the end of the day, I think it's it's tough to expect that. And I think, like you said, I think you have a, a better likelihood of Jake Myers, you know, having a highly productive season than you do of of 
you know, the combination of Hunter Brown and JP France being highly successful. Well, it, the Astros did make two moves. So we want to, you know, touch on those before we, we get to, you know, kind of the famous, uh, favorite portion of the week. Uh, so that just as we were getting off the air last week, they announced that they had signed Victor Caratini to a two-year, $12 million year uh, deal. He's a 700 OPS-ish catcher, was with the Brewers. He was their backup last year. So purely a backup catcher, although he started for a while in San Diego. Um, noted as his strength is a pitch framing, a terrible thrower of the baseball. But if you looked at what Machete was doing last year throwing, he wasn't getting anybody out. So, and they were running him ragged in the playoffs. I don't know if you noticed that. So, overall, I think that's an improvement. You know, he's about, you know, he's about one, one to two win player. Um, you still are going to have Diaz catching most of the time, but that's, you know, that's what they've already announced. And then they brought in uh, Coleman from the Royals in a trade, which these are the kinds of trades I would like to see them make. Because Coleman is a guy that his, they've already, he's already, you know, working on a sweeper. He's touching 99 on the gun. He was great two years ago. Last year he sucked, but he was probably hurt because he was only down to 95 miles an hour on his uh, fastball velo and and was walking a ton of guys. And those two things back-to-back scream injury. And so you get him with our pitching coaches, and maybe he becomes this year's Ryan Stanek. Which, you know, Ryan Stanek is not a guy you want closing out games, but Ryan Stanek is a guy that you want in the sixth or seventh inning. So maybe Coleman's that guy. Caratini's a guy that I feel perfectly comfortable letting catch a, a night or two a week. So they're not doing nothing, but it's it's kind of underwhelming at this point. They've signed a couple guys to minor league deals. Um, hoping to catch maybe lightning in a bottle with some, some young arms or, or guys that have shown high velo but haven't really been able to rein it in. I was maybe a little disappointed we didn't take advantage of the Rule 5 draft. Like, you know, in years past, they've done a good job with that. But the thing with that is you've got to keep them on the roster the entire year. And if there was nobody that you saw was worth that, oh, well. But, yeah, you know, I, I do think there's – I think they need another move. You know, we'll see. Time will tell. But – and and to me, it would be another starting pitcher, Scott. I'm with you on that. We need, we need one more. Um, I think you can manufacture enough offense. I think there's another bat or two in Triple A that might make some noise in spring training. Justin Durden was the guy last year who had a, a huge spring training, and and they went with Jolks instead. I think if he puts up monster numbers again, you know, we'll we'll see from we'll, from him, and and maybe we've got a nice a young rookie who can who can play, uh, and that moves Chaz into center field. But I do at least like to see that this is Dana's team. Right, like Dana Brown is is putting his vision together. Um, he's getting the guys that he wants. He let Maldonado go because he wants Diaz to start every day, and he doesn't want pitchers saying, "Well, I want to pitch to Maldi." He has come out and he said, "Chaz is going to play every day. Jake Myers is going to play every day because this is what's best for the team." And he's letting Joe Spada know, "This is how I want to run things. You're not Dusty Baker. We're going to work together, and you're not going to dictate to me." Yeah, I think that uh, that's solid. And in fact, I think there was um, he was a little tossing a little bit of shade. I don't know if you noticed that 
um, where, you know, he was talking about how, you know, we don't want to overpay for expensive relief pitching. And it's kind of like, huh, wonder who you could be talking about there. Um, I don't know if you want to uh, touch on you know, any of the other local teams uh, before we get to our favorite portion of the week. You know, I was watching the Rockets um, before we, we started the show. I, I'd love to do a, a quick check on the score because they were taking on the Grizzlies tonight. They were winning. And again, the, the team continues to play well at home. They uh, were able to take down um, the Nuggets a couple nights ago, you know, a game that you and I were both watching uh, in unison. They they win tonight against the Memphis Grizzlies at home. So again, this team continues to play good basketball at home. Um, they find ways to, to overcome the adversity they have during the game. And, they continue to find different ways to win, right? Tonight it was uh, Jabari Smith who was leading the way with 20 points and uh, Tari Eason had 25. So, um, you know, playing good basketball, sharing the basketball. Um, I'm out wearing Rockets gear. I'm out, I got my Rockets gear out of out of, uh, out of of storage in the closet, Scott. My father-in-law got me a new Rockets shirt. My mom got me a new Rockets shirt. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. One thing I've noticed is that uh, Jabari Smith is kind of he, he's picked up the rebounding in recent games. Uh, he's yeah, been, ten ten boards tonight. He's been getting a lot of double doubles, uh, which you know is is nice to see. Um, you know, you and I have both kind of discussed. It looked like Sangoon didn't have quite as good a game, although he only played twenty four minutes. So maybe if he you know gets his customary thirty to thirty five minutes, you know he maybe, just didn't have it tonight. I saw him miss a lot of little. Little gimmies in the lane. You know, he was two of eight from the floor. Um, I mean, he had ten boards, but even even passing wise, he only had two assists. It's just um, it wasn't there for him tonight. But that's okay, right? Like you're not you're not going to have it every night, and um, that's the nice thing about this Rockets collection of talent is you've got a lot of top draft picks on this team, right? So there should be nights where a different number one pick takes over and has a great night, and it's good to see that uh, Bari was was capable of doing that yeah I, I like you know tari easton's energy and deshaun tate's energy off the bench um you, you they, know what he reminds me of a lot tari does is is a more modern carl landry when carl okay. landry came into the game there was an energy coming off the bench but obviously he just he was more of an old school power forward where he was going to bang down low with you tari easton can do it all man he's that stretch power forward who can who can shoot from three, he runs the court, he dribbles, he plays fantastic defense, and he hustles. Uh, and his mom is a wonderful follow on, on X. Like she is, she seems like such a nice lady and just loves rooting for her son. And it's kind of like following Ryan Presley's mom, man. Like I love seeing, I love seeing parents being able to celebrate their kids doing what they love. All right, so... Let's, with let's skip the, let's skip them boys on Kirby. I, I, uh, I, that was one of the worst football games. I've that reminded me of a David Culley coach team, man. Well, and the problem was, is I think, you know, you, you look at a team that did not have after the first series did not have Nico Collins, did not have tank Dell, did not have Dalton Schultz. So you're talking about the three best wide receivers on the team. What are you going to do? Right. Missing offensive linemen. Yeah. You're, you're raining. Terrible, terrible turf. You're so running the ball wasn't going well. And you, you don't run the ball well anyway. So, yeah, I, I, the, going into that game. I was I, worried about it when I saw the weather. I was worried about it when I saw the weather because you, you mentioned you texted me and said, you know, what the weather conditions were going to be. 
And then when I saw that Nico Collins went down the first series, like, oh, man, this is just not going to be good. Uh, he no. did clear a thousand yards on the season, though. Congratulations to Nico. There was no explosive. There was no explosiveness on that offense. Um, fucking no, Noah Brown couldn't catch a cold. Yeah, no, no kidding. Um, no. Yeah, I thought I thought Hutchinson had a nice little showing, but other than that, that was pretty much the only offensive highlight to me. He couldn't, you know. Yeah, as as Shannon Sharp would say, the uh, Noah Brown, you know, couldn't play dead in a horror film. <laughs> I mean, it was it terrible. Was, yeah. That's why you see why, like we saw those two games in a row, right? Where um, he he had the two hundred and fifty yard games. You're like, wow, what what are we unlocking that the Cowboys were not able to figure out? And it was just like, you know what, a guy a guy had a little streak, but he's back to normal now, and this is what he is is a bum. You know what the the scene I'm thinking of in Major League? I'm thinking it- Serrano in spring training. Man, <laughs> man, this guy hits a ton. Why did nobody else pick up on this guy? All right, Eddie, that's enough. Which, by the way, why is your veteran pitch, you know, number one pitcher pitching batting practice in spring training? It's great. It's a great question. <laughs> Absolutely great question. Uh, but okay, that's the guy, the guy who literally says, "I ain't got an arm like yours. <laughs> I'll put anything I can on it." He's got Vaseline. He's got snot. He's got Tabasco up his nose to make his nose run. That's who you – Maybe that's why they Maybe that's why they have him throwing it because they want him to see all this junk all the time. I don't know. Bardal and Badgersil. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. All right, that's enough fastballs. Throwing some breaking balls. And they're just like, oh. <laughs> but, yeah, Noah Brown, he's a good fourth or fifth wide receiver. But he's not, you know, right now, you have no Tank Dell for the rest of the year. Um, we we talked about that last week and about, you know, what that means and, you know, and, you know what what's going on, you know, if, you know, injuries are a part of football. But right now, who is that other guy that after Nico Collins that you think, okay, I can, I can target this guy on a key third down? It's going to be Robert Woods, but he just doesn't get the separation he used to anymore. Like at yeah. this point, there's it's you know Hutchinson's going to going to play some big snaps. Um, you know, I think uh, we saw the tight end. Um, is it Brevin Jordan, uh, uh, Mister Mister December? Yeah, he got he got <laughs> some some looks yesterday, but uh, you're right. Like at this point. It's Robert Woods, it's Noah Brown, and it's Hutchinson are the wide receivers that you're trotting out there, possibly for Davis Mills. And so, God, it's frustrating because at the beginning of the season, you know, to, to have a season so far like this, obviously it's a win as a Texans fan. But as, as I was talking to one of my colleagues the other day, it's because he was I was lamenting the, the loss to Jets, saying it shouldn't have happened. He's like, well, you know, you guys have progressed so much, you should be happy. It's like, yeah, I am happy. But once you get into the playoff hunt, all that other stuff goes away. The season expectations go away. And now you're in a playoff hunt. You're in a playoff chase. And we're trying to stay in a playoff chase with literally no explosion on offense and Davis fucking Mills under center. That defense. Well, they pointed out, one of the things they pointed out on the radio is that um, every quarterback that's gone into the protocol this year has played the next game. Every starting quarterback. I know. 
Brock Purdy, uh, Derek Carr being, you know, the most prominent ones. So I'm not giving up hope yet, but the way that, the way that, uh, uh, D'Amico was talking, he was talking, kind of greasing the skids towards him missing They kept talking about taking about it, care of him for his future. You know, this is our long-term guy. We don't want to rush him back. That makes me think Davis Mills is playing. They're talking like they're getting Davis Mills ready to play. So, I mean, you've got Davis Mills going up against Mayonnaise Boy on Sunday. So, I, I don't know. That's that's going to be – well, you know, they are going to be wearing the old Oiler uniforms. You know, so maybe that will be give you know, the Texans an extra – you know, it certainly gave D'Amico an extra emotional boost. Uh, he was firing off some uh, some words in, in interviews this week. So, you know, maybe the guys come in with a little bit more a uh, little bit more gusto, and maybe they can run the ball a little bit with Devin Singletary and keep uh, Damian Pierce on ice. Gee, I, maybe if Dalton. Let Schul- me give you a let me give you a pitch. You know, you're having trouble running the football. JJ Watt walks into D'Amico Ryan's office. And he says, I want to come back, but I want to play fullback. And I want I want Devil Singletary or Pierce right behind me, and I'm going to lead the fucking way. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, geez. <laughs> give it a shot, I guess. That's why I feel like JJ could be the savior. I give it a shot. I, my, if, anyone can, if anyone can fucking open a hole right now, it's JJ Watt. Yeah, I... I just don't know. This line is so bad. Well, the thing is, is that you moved Juice Scruggs to center. I mean, he was, uh, Brendan Williams was just absolutely eating their oh ever God. living lunch. But you move Juice Scruggs to center. Who do you got at left guard? You still got Michael Dieter because this it team's was, got no other healthy lineman. It was bad. It was bad. I mean, I mean when the when the, the defensive lineman for the Jets has to come out and be like, I'm praying for your quarterback that I just mauled. There was no – there was. I mean, and I didn't think he did anything on purpose. I, I did not. It was a football play. But, like, he just got hit so many times that the defensive lineman had to be like, yeah, that, that was an accident. But at a certain point, I would have been like, probably early in the fourth quarter, I would have been like, this game's lost. We're not moving the ball. I'm gonna put Mills in early, and you know, put Stroud on ice. That would have been me. And I was saying it on the chat line on on our you know on Battle Red blog. So I, I, this is not revisionist history here. I was actually saying it, you know, and I was like probably saying it before the third quarter was even over, because you could just tell how that game was going. Yeah, and then you get the touchdown drive and you miss the extra point, and you're just like, really. Which I I don't know if you saw this, Matt Amendola, cut, deuces, he's out. So it looks like the uh, the Hawaiian will be back. Oh, he's practicing this week. So now if you have a 50-yard attempt, you can feel comfortable sending in a kicker again because you certainly weren't feeling comfortable the last month. That still drives me crazy. That's who we went with. Like there's so many legs out there. And we go with a guy who is shaky at best. But it is what it is. Scott, we got to keep moving on. We got to find a way to win games. We got to find defensive effort out there to pick up the offense, right? Like the defense played two and a half good quarters of football. And then the wheels just came off this week. And I and you got to find a way to get it right. As you mentioned, we're playing fucking mayonnaise boy. Um I, I predict, you know, I, I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and call a Stingley pick six. 
I think that's going to try and get a little something going. Again, been playing great football. Um, he, I, I feel like he's going to be matched up one-on-one with Hopkins a fair amount, um, and there should be some opportunity for him to make a play. I like that. I, I like a defensive score of some kind. Uh, yeah, maybe you got, if you win this game with well, C.J. Stroud, the defense has to score. You get a Will Anderson sack fumble. You know, I, I like that kind of. I like that kind of play. Uh, maybe a tipped interception. You know, who knows? You know, something. You need something. All right. So before we get to the negative, because we had just done a whole lot of negative, is there anybody this week that um, we are going to bring you a very special? scumbag of the year next week at our end of the uh, year episode. But this week, we're just going to focus for the week. So did any any good people stick out to you this week, Tim? Any, anything good happen? I have a tip of the cap. I know I sent you one earlier in the week. I sent you the one. Um, what was it? That was a good tip of the cap. It was Joe Burrow giving the uh, – the sweet mm. to the, but I changed my mind. That's a that's a minor tip compared to what we're going to go with today. I shared a website with you today, attorneygeneralpaxton.com. The publisher of this website is Toby Morton. Toby Morton um, was a former writer and voice person for South Park. He was Scott Teneman, who his tears tasted so good. But the thing that I love about Toby Morton is he's making websites to make fun of fascists. Let me read you a clip from, let me read you a little tidbit from the About Me section on what is attorneygeneralpaxton.com. About me. I'm clearly a power-hungry criminal, as you will read here on my website. But I'm not just a criminal. I'm also an adulterer who cheated on my wife with Laura Olson. My affair came into sharp focus after it was discussed as a key part of an illegal quid pro quo investigation and corruption accusations against me that led to my historic impeachment on May 27th. On the day of the vote, Texas lawmakers revealed that I cheated on my wife, Senator Angela Paxton, and even professed to be in love with Laura. That's just one nice piece. He also has a fake website for Carrie Lake. And on the Carrie Lake website, there's an endorsement from a stick of butter with a thumbprint. Hello, I'm a stick of butter with a toddler's thumbprint that was left on the counter overnight. I am strongly endorsing Carrie Lake for governor of Arizona. Carrie isn't afraid to speak her mind, even though her mind is literally full of land of conspiracies that even the people who made up the conspiracies are like, really? We were just kidding. Take it from a stick of butter. Bitch is crazy, but I'm a stick of butter, so whatever. Scott Teneman, I fucking love you, man, and I'm sorry that your parents got eaten in a bowl of chili. Oh, that you ate. Actually, that, that, it wasn't Scott, me. It was, was Cartman. Scott, well, Scott, Cartman. Scott Teneman ate. I was saying you. Yeah, ate. Scott Teneman ate. Yeah, you no. had to eat your own parents in chili. All because you made fun of Cartman's pubes. Well, no, he didn't make fun. He he sold him his pubes. He sold him pubes and he made the chest. Uh, he uh, he made like the pube to pay. Yeah, it was, it was rough. That's a great episode. But yeah, the guy who plays Scott Teneman is a national treasure. That, yeah, that is some awesomeness. And and, and believe you me, um, I will be getting to Ken Paxton next week. I need to build up an entire week of... I told of you I called his office, right? No, not not recently. Uh, Asked, with everything that's going on with uh, the Cox lady, 
I, I felt the need to call his office and express my opinion. And I said, I want you to pass on to Ken Paxton that Tim Costello in the colony, Texas, says that he is a giant asshole. I said, I want you to literally pass that exact message on to him. I don't want any phrasing changed. I want you to say that Tim Costello from the colony says you're an asshole. I want that exact message passed on. And the guy's like, oh, okay, sir. Thank you. Well, what I want is I want to go to his doctor and say, like, I want you to cancel his Viagra prescription. Because you know what? Uh, if you if you can get into our bedrooms and you can, you know, if you can go between us and our doctor, we get to do it to you. You're too old to have sex. Sorry. Cancel yeah. the Viagra. I'm, I can't. Af- we can't afford to have you have a heart attack, Ken. You're too important to stay in Texas. <laughs> We gotta keep you. We gotta keep you safe, man. Candies okay. only. All right. So tip of the cap. So uh, my wife and I, Janet, we went out uh, Saturday, and we we went out to uh, the downtown Specs, and there was a little event going on there, and we got there towards the tail end of it. Uh, so I don't know if you've heard of the Yellow Roads Distillery. Yeah. So they were doing this special thing where they were engraving uh, bottles that they would sell to you. They would grave it for free. Uh, and there on behalf of Yellow Rose was Sean Pendergast, who I know uh, you're familiar with. Yeah, intern for Sean. And so, you know, I had a really nice conversation with him. And, and one of the things that, um, that Sean's done for, for me personally is during the offseason at Battle Red Blog, I'll do five questions. And I'll go and I'll, you know, ask local radio personalities. And one of the things that I, that I like to do is I'll sit there and say, hey, I will... I will pimp any podcast or anything you got going on, you know, in exchange for you, you know, answering these questions. He agreed to do it. Seth Payne, uh, I reached out to him, did not, you know, radio silence. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't get it. Uh, John Lopez, I don't know if you're familiar with him. I reached out to him. I didn't get anything. Um, I got Landry Locker agreed to do it. Um, and then also, uh, Ron Hughley's on the afternoon show reached out to Clint Sterner crickets, you know, and then I reached out to, uh, 97.5 guys, you know, which is kind of funny because we had, uh, Cody Stutes on our show, him and his two co-hosts. And what is funny is, is that that show, all three of them are no longer on the air. So Cody left and that show just shriveled up and died, but they all three agreed to come on with five questions, but you know, I talked to Sean for a few minutes, super nice guy. Um, he actually remembered doing that for me. So, you know, and so he, and he said, Hey, if you need, you know, if you need me to do it again, you know, shoot me an email. So super nice guy, you know, yeah, to talk to the fans and I noticed him having good conversations with the other fans who were there. So uh, man of the people, Sean Pendergast tip of the cap. Yeah, I, Sean's a great guy. Um, I interned for him when he was still at 1560 doing the morning show with John Granado. And I have never shied away from my opinions on John Granado on the show. Not a fan, kind of a douche, hated interning for him. Pendergast, on the other hand, was was pretty pretty nice guy, very chill. Um, I was a, still rooting heavy for Notre Dame at that point in my life, and so he was a Notre Damer, so we talked Notre Dame football a lot. Um, guy knows his stuff and he, he's a really nice guy and, um, it was good to see that he's 
um, out and interact with the fans and 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 uh, representing Yellow Rose Distillery there uh, at that Specs downtown. I've been there before, man. That's a cool Specs. It's uh, they do a lot of sampling. You can you can yeah. leave that store with a fucking buzz. Yeah, we we and we got some lunch. They got a nice lunch counter there, and so we got a lot of Christmas shopping done that day. Um, particularly for my in laws because they you know they they like their wine, they like their booze. So what better place to go than Specs? I'm with you. I love Specs. I'm a fan. They got um, there's a couple up here. There's one called like Goodies or something like that. That's kind of interesting. It's a really nice liquor store that's um just down the street from my house. They have Total Wine, pretty popular up here as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh it's the holiday season. You got to get festively drunk, right? You got to find different ways to consume alcohol in festive cocktails. Absolutely. Are you Absolutely. an eggnog guy? Alcoholic eggnog? Uh, usually not, but they had some there that we tried that was actually really, really good. So, so I read a I read a um, a recipe last year that I busted out for everybody. If you put Fireball in it, um, pretty pretty tasty. Fireball. Because <laughs> you mix it with whiskey, but the cinnamon whiskey uh, with the eggnog is actually really nice. Yeah, the the one they had, I can't remember what was in it, but uh, it was like eighteen percent alcohol, but it was good stuff. Oh, I went half and half. I made my own last year. So last year I had like my first year owning my home. I wanted the fucking Griswold family Christmas, right? Like I invited my parents. I invited uh, my wife's parents. I invited my wife's grandmother. I invited my brother. I invited my brother's in-laws. I invited anybody who didn't have anywhere to go. I had like 18 people in my house. And I like all I could remember was the the moose and the eggnog, right? So I was like, <laughs> I was like, I gotta, gotta have some eggnog. Uh, so I put the, I put the eggnog out, and I think my dad gave me like a courtesy, like he gave, he drank like a courtesy glass, right? So I didn't feel bad about it, but like no one drank it. Um, it tasted pretty good though. I had it, it tasted like like an alcoholic milkshake. Like it was. Did you? It did, was. Uh, it was fine. You didn't uh, bust out the chainsaw, did you? No, no okay. one. Fix uh, the, fix the new post. <laughs> We uh, we're artificial tree people, so luckily there was no squirrel in the tree or anything like that. But uh, yeah, you know, all I could think about was cousin Eddie drinking the the eggnog out of the moose cup, and I was like, I need eggnog for my uh, yeah. for my Christmas dinner. All right, so some people we will get to the big scumbags next week, but somebody you know, I'm sure stuck in your craw this week, Tim. So who do you, who do you got in your crosshairs this week? This week for me, it's not a single person, Scott. It is a business entity. And I had one of the most frustrating experiences of my life on Monday. So for those of you who don't know, we haven't talked about it at all. My wife had a medical emergency on Wednesday after we recorded our show Wednesday morning. Um, My wife's not feeling good. Next thing you know, we're at the hospital and she's having emergency surgery. She can't pick up the baby for a month. I am the only one who can pick up our baby right now. So my mom, being the wonderful, thoughtful person that she is, thought that she would send um, four jars of formula to the house, make our life easy so I don't have to go out and buy formula. Um, So she orders it from walmart.com because that's where we get our formula. They have an in-house brand that our baby likes, and it's significantly cheaper um, than other formulas. The only problem is my mom ordered the wrong one. It's okay. It happens. It's Walmart. They're everywhere. I'll just bring it in. I'll swap it out. I'll get the right formulas. They wouldn't take it back. They would not take their own in-house brand back and exchange it 
because they won't take a Walmart.com order back inside Walmart. Amazon will take your returns at Whole Foods, at Kohl's, at a fucking locker outside of a gas station. Blockbuster could figure out how to mail you a DVD and let you return it inside the store 20 years ago. But Walmart? Walmart with thousands of fucking locations can't figure out that it's okay for me to return a Walmart.com order and just swap it out. All I wanted was a Walmart gift card and then go buy the formula that I needed. It it is the most simple return I've ever seen in my life. And for some reason, they wouldn't take it. And I spent 45 minutes on the phone with Walmart customer service only for three different people to pass me to other people in India finally get back to somebody in America for her to be like, yeah, this is a stupid policy, but it is the policy. So like all my mom wanted to do was have a nice gift and we have to refund her credit card and have her repurchase the formula again, defeating the purpose of the thoughtful gift. All she was trying to do is make life easier and Walmart, you have made life harder. I don't shop at Walmart for anything but that baby formula. And I had it for a year and a half, Scott. And it was the most freeing year and a half of my life. My year and a half not going to a Walmart was amazing. And the fact that I have to go back in now, a little part of my soul dies every time I walk in that fucking place. So I haven't been into Walmart more than I would say three or four times in 15 years. So you remember the Walmart down in Clear Lake? The one on uh, 45? Yeah. So we used to live, I mean, right next to that Walmart and we found out that they had a convicted sex offender working for them. And, you know, Ann was younger then. And so we're like, yeah, I think we'll go to Target. And so, you know, we're, we're Target people. Uh, we are not Walmart people. I have, you know, I think it might be easier to wean a heroin addict off of heroin than it is to get a woman who likes to shop at Target to stop going to Target. I have begged my wife to stop grocery shopping at Target. It is hands down the most expensive place to do your grocery shopping. I I walked I in am, once. I walked in once and spent less than $100. I was able to pull it off once. I go to Aldi. I fill my whole entire, I do a whole oh, week's no. grocery shopping oh, for like no. 65 bucks. We do all of our, our grocery shopping at HEB because we got an HEB that's literally even HEB a is quarter mile, okay, but quarter mile from us. I mean, it's it's. I I get more bang for my buck at Aldi than I do anywhere else. Do I get to know exactly what I'm going to get when I walk in there? Not with everything. You know, sometimes it's, hey, what do they have this week? But at the end of the day, um, Aldi is an amazing place to shop. But to try and get your wife, who is bougie and will just do the Target online pickup and cruise into her little spot and wait for them to load it into her car versus my method of having to bring my own quarter so I can get the cart from Aldi where you got to bring your own bags and you do everything for yourself. But you know what? Oh, oh so it got, cut, got cut off there. But no, I was just saying it's 30 bucks cheaper. I go to Aldi. I like I Aldi. a ton of money. Yeah. I like Aldi. Um, but yeah, HEB is just so convenient. I being love so H-E-B. Close, being so close I love to H-E-B. being close to the the house. I mean, it's just great whenever we need to pick up. Like just last night, Anne had a concert, and so her concert started at seven o'clock, which really wasn't enough time to eat beforehand. So I just went up, picked up some sandwich meat, and you know, picked up a thing of bread, and it took me ten minutes. 
you know, boom. I'm going to make a game-changing suggestion to you, Scott. Sandwich meat has gotten outrageously expensive. I don't know if you've noticed. Like, good sandwich meat's like twelve ninety nine a pound. Oh no, we I got uh, they had it there for about eight bucks. Eight bucks a pound. Yeah, fresh sliced. Yeah. Okay. I buy uh, a six and a half pound turkey breast for thirteen fifty, and I make it myself. I have a uh, a slicer at home, and I slice my own turkey, and it is unbelievably delicious the family loves it and uh it's it's even better i feel like than than some of those some of those ones in the store yeah i'm a big i, I like ham uh, i'm a big ham you can, do ham. You can yeah. buy a ham and do a ham yeah I, i've but i've seen yeah um that would be a cool we we've i'm i'm slowly but surely i have to say this quietly because it's kind of gets into christmas here but i'm slowly but surely building up our kitchen because janet loves cooking and so I, I kind of like it. Add a, an appliance every every year. My so. I got the deli slicer last year, Scott, and I never thought I'd use it. But once I started, I can't stop. Making your own lunch meat is awesome. Oh yeah, that's that's a good suggestion. All right, so scumbag for me. Uh, Walmart's a good call. Um, I, I don't go to Walmart's really much anymore, but um, I got to go back to this Ohio Atani deal. And I got to go with Major League Baseball, which means I'm pointing the fingers straight at Manfred. How do you allow this $700 million contract and don't just simply charge them $70 million a year in terms of tax? That's the way that this always figured. It's figured based on average annual value. So like when you look at Alex Bregman's contract, his contract as terms of tax, doesn't count the 30 plus million. It counts whatever the average was, six years, 100 million, whatever, 17 million a year, I think. That's what it counts. So, you know, and that's the way it always has been. So to sit there and say, okay, y'all can sign them for, and it ends up being 47 million or 48 million against the tax. That gives them an extra $20 million that they can play with, you know, that, that wouldn't be taxed. It's ridiculous. And I'm sorry, but, you know, Tim, you know, mentioned early on in the episode how much he hates to see Otani go there. It makes perfect sense. Uh, Janet has taken a trip to, uh, to Japan for, for uh, when she was working for Boeing. And... She actually went to a baseball game there, said it's a, an actual, it's a neat experience. It's a very different experience than what we get here in the United States. He said, you will, she said, you will see Yankees uniforms, hats, Dodgers uniforms, hats. That was it. This would have been back when we were first married. So Ichiro would have still been active and it was still Yankees and Dodgers dominated. So the fact that he went to the Dodgers makes perfect sense. It's an already, a, you know, a bankable brand in Japan. And I'm sure the Dodgers are going to make hand, money hand over fist. They're going to make that money back easily. Just in, you know, in the a- revenue that you would get. They said that they broke records just in the first, you know, couple of days that, you know, they officially started selling jerseys. So they're making that money back. We know they are. But the least that Major League Baseball can do is says, you know what? We do have rules, and those rules 
stipulate that when you're paying a guy $70 million a year, then that gets added onto your payroll. If you're going to have Mookie Betts and you're going to have and you're going to have Freddie Freeman, and you're going to have Otani, and you're going to go out and sign another Japanese pitcher, and you're going to trade for Tyra Glass now, and you're going to pay him a bunch of money. If you're doing, you know, you're paying Max Muncy a little bit less, you're going to pay Will Smith, probably he's going to get a huge extension someday. You're going to get all these guys for huge money. You got to pay the freight on that. You got to pay the tax. That, that's what this, that's what has to happen. And I don't understand how the other owners aren't throwing their arms up in the air, right? Because the, the competitive balance tax, the luxury tax, or you want to call it, that's that goes to everybody, right? Like that money is split up and then divided amongst the teams. So if you're one of those other teams and you see them do this, how are you not saying, whoa, 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 that's our money that you're doing this magic math with? Yeah, I mean, and you got to imagine – and, and, and that, that's the problem. It's the same thing like when Deshaun Watson signed his fully guaranteed contract in Cleveland. You know, like Lamar Jackson, wait, what, what? I can get it all guaranteed? You know, and you get guys like, you know, Justin Herbert and guys like, you know, Joe Burrow and are like, hey, wait a minute, he got all that guarantee. Wait, wait huh? oh, that, that's a game changer. It's going to be the same thing. So you're going to see Juan Soto probably is going to get, you know, a huge deferral. You know, like you said, it'll probably be a 50-50 split. It'll probably be 20 million a year. But I'm fine with that. I'm fine. I don't care about deferring. That's not the problem. I don't think it should be counting like this. Right. Count the full cap. And uh, owners need to come together and say, this is bullshit because you're taking money out of my pocket because that money would have come back to me. When it was taxed properly. Because you know full well Dodgers ownership. You know what they're thinking. They're thinking, I've already owned this team 5, 10 years. Maybe 10, 15 years down the road I sell. And that's going to be new ownership's problem. That's $68 million a year. That's going to be their problem. It's not going to be my problem. And that's just going to be part of the cost of doing business. And to me, you could sign Kyle Tucker to a similar deal. You could do that. You could go if if that's the way we're doing things. And if you're worried about, you know, paying him $40 million a year and have that, you know, count against your tax, you could do that where you sit there and go, okay, Kyle, Houston's fairly inexpensive place to live. How would you like $15 million a year? And then we'll just pay you maybe $20 million a year for the next 15 years. We'll get you. We'll get you that same amount of money. You know, you'll get your, that would be $450 million. I think he would say yes. I would. If it yeah. Were me. Yeah. So it's the smart way to do it. it. You're, you're vested, right? Like that's what, that's what people want. They want to be vested in these companies where you get paid off for the rest of your life because you have stock. Well, what's the difference in that, right? You're, you're vested now. You can retire in Houston as a God because you played your whole career here. You won a world series, maybe two. And you don't ever have to leave. It's a low cost of living. And you get paid $20 million for the rest of your life every year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your kids and your grandkids start, you know, coming up and collecting. It's not but, live money, but, you know, it's it's uh, it's PGA uh, Tour money. Oh, yes. So that, I know. That's that's kind of a joint scumbag, I think. And, and I don't know even – we were talking – That might be talked about next week for me, Scott. 
Yeah, I don't even know who to who's the biggest scumbag there. I have an opinion on it, but we might differ on that. I also called the PJ Tours office and told them they suck too. Yeah. I made a lot of calls this week. I called the Texas Supreme Court. I called the PJ Tour. I called Greg Abbott. I called Ken Paxton. I'm not afraid to let my voice be heard as an American citizen. Yeah, good for you, Tim. Freedom of speech, baby. Good for you. Uh, while we still have it, right? Dang, uh, that's what Elon is fighting to make sure that we keep our freedom of speech, Scott. Sure. You would know that if you didn't leave X, because you would also know that he brought Alex Jones back. Yeah, I knew he's free I, speech, baby. I saw he brought Alex Jones back. Yep. I'm glad did, I left. Did Twitter. you listen to the spaces at all that he did? No, I'm, I'm glad. It's disgusting. It's at, it's it's uh, Andrew Tate is in there. Uh, Alex Jones is in there. The Krasenberg brothers are in there. Um, Elon is in there. It is the worst. They're arguing over what the definition of a globalist is at one point. Like it is, it is one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. Yep, I gotta agree with you there. But we're gonna save some good stuff for next week, folks. So next week will be our final show of the year. You know, because we do have you know vacations coming i know uh sawyer's going to be out of school at that point too so i'm sure no they got school all next week and then they're off uh the week of christmas to new year and then the week following no no yeah we have school next week we're just saying i'm just saying after that yeah we'll we'll we'll, you know break we'll be on break so you know i'm sure y'all have some fun stuff planned um hopefully my wife can't do anything yeah maybe i'm not i'm not able to play golf this week i didn't get to play golf last week i'm I'm uh, I'm worried what the handicap's going to do, Scott. I'm definitely worried. Yeah, but she's healing, she's healthy, and uh, luckily everything's all good. Well, the and the good thing is is that it didn't happen at the twenty week mark. This was a procedure that is protected, thank God. However, um, you know it is what it is. Everyone's safe. Everyone's healthy. I'm not going to get into it too much on on the podcast. Um, but we are fortunate to have uh, avoided what something that could have been really bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's all we got for you here this week on the snap hook. Um, we appreciate everyone who made us a part of your week. We've got a, a, a year end wrap up next week. Uh, Scott and I can maybe talk some of our favorite Christmas movies, Christmas cookies, Christmas traditions, holiday extravaganza coming up for you next week. But we appreciate everyone who joined us and we will see you next week on the snap hook. Thank you for tuning in to the Snap Hook and making Scott and I a part of your week. Wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and this outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snap Hook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snap Hook. Thank you.